The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Grove Church Snohomish, so happy that you're here today. My name is Andrew, and as you came through the doors today, you should have received a Connect card. That's just our way of saying thank you for being here. We'd love for you to fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable with. At the end of service, we collect those cards. We also have a guest table out in the lobby if you're a guest with us. It's just a cool time for you to be able to introduce yourselves uh, to one of us, and we'd love to give you a gift as a way of just saying thank you for being here. Hey, I want to celebrate a couple things as a church Last week, we brought in over 1,500 pounds of food for 500, so can you celebrate that? Absolutely. Uh, Elizabeth at the Snohomish Food Bank, she wrote me this week, she said, Wowzer, that is amazing. Let me put it this way. You all just collected enough food to feed 15 families for a full week. In addition to that, we were able to raise enough money to purchase the rest of the items we needed for their Thanksgiving baskets. So again, give yourself a hand. Awesome job. Appreciate your generosity and uh, giving to the church. I want to thank Ben especially. Uh, ben helped us out tremendously through his work with making fight hunger a huge impact. And so uh, the vision of our church is very simple. Love God, connect with each other, serve all. And uh, serve all was a great reminder last week as we got to serve the food bank and give to our community. So thank you so much for being a part of that with us. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we actually finished this series today called What's Your Deal? Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this series. I sure have enjoyed it in part because it's been uh, solely on a book of the Bible, just kind of going through verse by verse today. I'm going to try to get through a whole chapter, chapter 3. I have a lot to say, a lot of content, so hopefully you're ready to hear that all. But uh, I hope that this series inspired you just to be a, a studier and a person that reads God's Word. I believe so much in the power of the Scriptures and the power of taking in the Word of God on a daily basis. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan or you're not um, jumped into reading on a regular basis, there's so many cool resources out there. In the new year, you'll be hearing about a Bible reading plan that we as a church will go through together. And I just want to encourage you to be a person of God's Word. Before we jump into the text, what I want you to do for me is I just want you to go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. I know I just asked you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, but go ahead and just close your eyes for a moment. Okay, no, no peeking, okay, no cheating, all right? No one's going to put a pie in your face or anything like that, okay? Uh, just close your eyes for, for a minute here. For just a moment in this room, I, I want you to focus. I want you to think of a person you admire or love. Could be a family member. Could be a friend. Could be a parent. Could be a coworker. Could be your kids. Could be your spouse. Could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Could be your boss. Think of someone you respect with your eyes closed right now. Think of someone you respect and enjoy being around. Now with every eyes closed, if you have that person, just go ahead and just yell out to me, got it. If you have that person. Got that person. Okay. Keep your eyes closed for a minute here. With your eyes closed, I want you to think of the qualities that person displays. I want you to think, what are the qualities in his or hers life that causes you to respect them, admire them, enjoy being around them? What is it about that person that you're thinking about right now that makes you want to love them and be like them? Keep those qualities in your mind here for a minute. Okay, you can open them now. For most of us here, 
some of the qualities that came into our head were probably qualities like that person was very loving, or that person is very generous, or that person is very kind, or that person is very thoughtful. Maybe for you, it, it reminds you of a story of what that person did for you or your family. There's not a single person in the room today that thought of someone who's rude. So not a single person here that thought of someone who lacks compassion. So there's not a person that we thought of in this room that has qualities that maybe, you know, we want to just be distasteful with. The qualities that you all thought of were probably positive, godly qualities, which makes you want to be like that person and makes you attracted to that person. Paul shifts today in Colossians 3 away from kind of fighting the false teaching. He shifts away from uh, fighting all the kind of the beliefs of that day. And he deals with this idea of the new man. In, in Paul's day and in Paul's time, Paul wrote all these letters to the church. That's what we call the New Testament, 13 letters that we have in the Bible. And Paul would write these letters, and a lot of times he would use language like this. He would use language of old man versus new man. He'd use language like old self versus new self. He'd use language like being a slave to sin versus being a slave to righteousness. Hey, I'm feeling really hot on this. If you guys can bring me down a little bit, that'd be awesome. It sounds really hot right now. So you'd use this different language, old covenant versus new covenant, new nature versus old nature. And so today we're going to experience the difference. Paul's going to bring up a variety of lists based on people that were of old nature and then what happened when they gave their life to Christ and now new nature. And here's where he starts in Colossians 2. I want you to keep this in mind where we get this idea of new nature or the new man. This is Colossians 2, 13 through 15. It says... You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed or stripped off the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by making by his victory over them on the cross. What Paul has in mind here, what he's picturing for you and I, as we jump into these lists and these qualities, what he's picturing is baptism. Right, right in this section of scripture, Paul talks about that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible speaks of repentance and then baptism. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, baptism, being immersed in the water and then coming up new and alive in Christ, represents our old life being put into the water and new life coming in Christ. So that's the picture that Paul's speaking to that we can put in our minds today as we're thinking about this old man versus new man or this old self versus new self. Let's jump into Colossians Three in chapter 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Let's pray for God's word today. God, we thank you for your church, your people. God, we thank you that we get to gather. We get to lift up the name of Jesus. We get to sing songs. We get to love one another because of what Christ has done in our lives. 
And I pray today, God, as we talk about the old man versus the new man, as we talk about these qualities, God, I pray our hearts would grow to become like the new person you've called us to be today. I thank you, God, that you are here. Your spirit's working in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the proper fo focus. I'm going to kind of break it up into sections here. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, like I said, we are now new in Christ Jesus. The past is gone. Paul is telling us that Christ is now presently seated at the right hand of God and that we should set our minds on heaven above because we're now new in Christ Jesus. He's wanting to get us focused on the right thing. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek his first, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he's trying to get our mind to go, okay, now that you've been baptized, now that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, now that you're becoming this new man, I want you to set your mind on the things above and not on the earth below, because Christ has now conquered death, sin, and the grave, and he's seated at the right hand of God, ruling and overseeing the world. In Colossians 3, 5 through 11, here goes this list. The old man. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life... It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Paul's dealings here with the sins of the past, the old man. Let me break some of these verses down. Again, this old, this old self now is in the past. He says in verse 5, because now you are new in Christ... Because old is now gone and you've come, become new in Christ Jesus and you're now a new creation. I want you to put to death. I want you to put these qualities to death. These qualities should no longer be who you are anymore. These qualities should no longer be a part of your life now that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to be this new person. And it starts with putting to death these sins. This language of putting to death indicates that Christians have to take severe measures to conquer sin. Watchfulness and prayerfulness against it will be the first steps. In fact, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying as he was about to be crucified and beaten and tortured, all these things, he, he said this to the disciples as he wanted them not to sleep and to stay awake and pray. He said this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is a constant battle, a battle for you and I as Christ's followers to put to death these sins. 
It's a, it's a daily thing. And it starts, the list of sins starts with sexual immorality. It's the word pornea, which where we get the word porn from. This refers to every kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Impurity, lust, evil desires. Well, why? Why start with sexual immorality? Well, Paul, in a different letter, reminds us that sins against our body are far more greater than other sins. And so Paul's saying, as you become a new person in Christ Jesus, as your old life has now been left in the waters and you're coming up new, the one sin I want you to put to death, the one sin I want you to start with is sexual immorality. Because it has a connection to your soul and it's a sin against your body. And this is one, now that you're new in Christ, you need to put to death. We would tell students in youth ministry all the time that nothing good ever happens in a car alone with the opposite sex. Okay? We're not dumb. But Paul is reminding you and I that in our old life, these are now things we're putting to death. And he starts with this main one. He says, the wrath of God is coming in line with the Old Testament prophets who spoke of the day of the Lord. Paul reminds us, that God will suddenly intervene in human history and everyone will be held accountable. It's the second coming of Christ Jesus that Christ's followers believe. That someday Christ is going to return in triumph and in glory. And he's going to make the world right. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more weeping. There will be no more sorrow. Because when Christ returns, he will make the world right again. Verse 7, he says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but this is no longer who you are. And here's the list of the old man. Put away, put to death, get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Paul's saying it's time to gain control of your emotions. Do not hurt one another with your words and actions. Do not slander or gossip about someone. This is not who you are anymore. You are now new in Christ. So he's telling the reader, he's telling the church at Colossae, these are things now we put to death. These are things that are no longer who we are. We no longer operate with anger and rage. We no longer slander one another. We no longer talk ill of one another behind each other's backs saying that it's a prayer request. We, we no longer find ourselves in places where we treat one another as enemies. We now treat each other as friends because of what Christ has done. He goes on in verse 10. He says, put on your new nature... And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This is an important theological thing I want to walk through for a minute. This is the theology of sanctification. It is a present tense thing. It is a daily thing. What, what it looks like is this. I am saved, but I'm also being saved. This, this theology of sanctification goes something like this. None of us have arrived 
None of us are perfect Christ followers. None of us have it figured out. The theology of sanctification says that I'm ongoing becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing process where I daily wake up and I put to death the old man and I put on the new man. It's a daily thing. In fact, anyone that claims to think they have it all figured out and you're the perfect Christian, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, all right. Not anybody, right? So it's a daily challenge for you and I to fall at the foot of the cross, for you and I to repent, for you and I to make things well with one another, for you and I to apologize, for you and I to grow, for you and I to challenge one another, because every single day, our goal as Christ followers is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. What's so cool about this is we don't need to feel bad. Maybe, maybe this morning it was a rough day coming to church. All right, I got two little kids, so the fact that you came to church with kids is a miracle, okay? But maybe this morning you and your hubby or you and your wife are, no, 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 no. I, I don't know. It happens to us all the time. Maybe this week was when you found yourself in your job, maybe saying things you shouldn't have said. Maybe you were in traffic on I-5 and there was some anger behind that wheel. I don't know. I've been there, though. What's so cool about it, though, is Paul's reminding us that you haven't arrived. It's ongoing. It's a process. And who you were maybe a year ago is not who you're going to be today. And a year from now may not be who you are anymore. Why? Because you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. I love when someone first gives their life to Christ. And let's just say their whole life existed with, you know, just terrible music. Right? I mean, just pro, you know, music that had profanity or music filled with dirty language. I don't know. But all of a sudden, they put their faith in Christ. And, you know, it's not like the next day they just all started listening to Hillsong. Okay? It doesn't really work that way. But, every, but, but as things begin, you begin to see light bulbs go off in, in, their, in their minds. You begin to see God working in their life. You begin to see them take on different patterns in their life. And now, who they were maybe a year ago or two or three, they're now someone becoming new in Christ. So this isn't encouragement, this isn't out of condemnation. Paul's saying it's a process. Give yourself a break. You don't have it all figured out. He goes on in verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Paul says, because of Christ Jesus, there are no distinctions in the new covenant, people of God. All are welcome to the table of God. All have access to his love and his grace and his mercy. See, in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter what race you are, what language you speak. It doesn't matter if you come from affluence or poverty. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you live. In Christ, there are now no distinctions. Every person is now welcomed into God's family. And Paul's saying we ought to treat one another with this love and this respect and this dignity for one another. It's a reminder for you and I that it doesn't matter what someone looks like. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter how broken or solid they are in their past. In Christ, he's the great equalizer. Christ is the great equalizer. We all have to come to him broken, repentive, and accept the free grace of salvation. There are no distinctions. 
in Christ's kingdom. He goes on now to the good list, the list I hope we're all waiting for. He says, since God, this is verse 12, since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the new man, the new person in Christ. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representation or a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul goes on now. This was the old man, this rage, this malicious behavior, this anger, this sexual immorality, this old person, not who you are anymore. And now I want you to take on these new things. If we're putting to death these, this list, we're putting on or taking on these lists. He says, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Currently, I'm practicing immense patience. That's my life right now and the story of my life. Immense patience. I have two little girls, a three-year-old and an almost one-year-old. And I don't know if you've ever had to put a three-year-old to bed, but if you've ever had to put a three-year-old to bed, it's an art of immense patience, okay? My sweet Lydia, man, she's got me wrapped around her little finger, okay? It's like bedtime. And she says, just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes, Daddy. Put the timer on. Just a few more minutes. I'm like, okay, Lydia, a few more minutes. Timer, immense patience. Five minutes, Okay. Bell goes off. Okay, lady, time. Just a few more minutes, Dad. Just a few more minutes. You want to play a little bit longer? Just a few. Lydia, we're going to bed. Say good night. Right? Okay, we're going to bed. It hasn't even started yet, you guys. Okay, we make our way upstairs. Okay, we're brushing teeth. Okay, Dad's going to help you brush your teeth. I want to brush my teeth. I want to do it myself. Immense patience. Immense patience. I want to do it myself. Immense patience. Lydia, we have to learn how to use the proper toothpaste now. You don't swallow. You don't swallow. Okay, okay, okay. Immense patience. Immense patience. And then we finally get to her bed. Daddy, daddy, where's, where's Silky? Lydia, I don't know where Silky is. Daddy, where's Blondie? Lydia, I don't know where Blondie is. I got to go find Blondie. I got to go find Silky. Immense Patience. Daddy, I want to read a book. Lydia, it's too late. We're not going to read a book right now. Daddy, I want to read a book. E-I-E-I-O. I want to read a farm book. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Immense patience. Okay, Lydia, let's read the book. So we read the book. And she's the slowest reader on the planet, man. Just, oh my gosh. Every animal. E-I-E-I-O. You just want to put your hair out saying E-I-E-I-O. Immense patience. We finally say our prayers. We sing this little light of mine or one of Mima's songs or whatever song she wants. Daddy, Daddy, I need kissy. 
Okay, Lydia, I'll give you kisses. Daddy, I need Uggamuggas. Those are Eskimos from Daniel Tiger. I need Uggamuggas. Okay, Lydia, let me give you Uggamuggas. Okay, Lydia, it's time to go to bed now. Okay, good night, Daddy. Daddy, what, Lydia? I'm going to be in your bed tonight. <laughs> Immense. No, you're not, Lydia. You're going to stay in your own bed. I'm going to be in your bed tonight. No, you're not. I'm going to lock your door. You're going to lock my door? You know? Immense pain. Don't lock my door. You know? Immense patience. Close the door. I now have trained myself just to stand outside the door because within a minute, she's going to be like, Daddy! Daddy! I need a kissy! Lydia, last kiss, okay? Go night-night. This is last night. Go downstairs. I sit on the couch. I'm reviewing the message. All of a sudden, we've done it all. 20 minutes of bedtime routine. I'm at the end of it. I'm done. Daddy! I need a gamaga! I need a gamaga! Daddy! Man, it's like, are you going to go up there? Nope. No, I'm not. I'm not. Immense patience. Lydia, here's your final, final kiss and final, final ugga And guess who was in my bed at 11 o'clock last night? <laughs> exactly. Immense patience. Bob Goff talks about this. I recommend him as an author and a speaker. He says, whatever you fill your bucket with, you will become. If you fill your buckets with arguments, you will become a lawyer. If you fill your buckets with a bunch of business deals, you'll become a business person. But if you fill your bucket with patience, you will become love. You know what Jesus is calling you and I to do today? To fill our buckets with immense patience. You know how hard it is to be patient with people who are far from God? You know how hard it is to be patient with people who are filled with dirty language? You know how hard it is to be patient with people who deal with malicious behavior or deal with sexual sin? You know how hard it is to be immensely patient with people who are lost and broken? It is hard. I mean, for me as a Christ follower growing up in the church, I naturally just want to point my finger at them. I want to get critical. I want to get judgmental. I want to, I want to lash out. I want to read them the Bible. I want them to get saved. And yet Christ in his amazing mercy and grace is so immensely patient with you and me. He's so patient with us. When we were lost and broken and far from God and living behaviors and life that were contrary to his will, he was so patient with us. In fact, over and over in the Gospels, we see a patient father waiting for his son to return. We see a patient Lord going after the one and leaving the 99. So patient. And yet nobody prays for patience because what do you get? Opportunities to be patient, don't you? It's awful. But yet Christ calls you and I to fill this bucket of our lives with immense Patience, to be patient with people who are broken and lost, to be patient with people who are far from him. He says, forgiving one another in verse 13. When someone has wronged you or, is, or you have wronged someone else, just apologize, make it right. 
Just, just make it right. You know, as a dad, I do this all the time with my kids. You know, Lydia, I, I'm sorry. Daddy shouldn't have acted like that. You know, babes, I, I shouldn't have responded that way. I'm so sorry. You know, the best thing you can do for your kids, the best thing you can do for your marriage sometimes is just to apologize and say, I, I screwed up and I need your forgiveness. Bible talks about not letting even the sun go down with your anger. He says, above all else, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul in Colossians here deals with the unity factor. He deals with loving one another. What I love about our church is our church is a story of adoption. And I just want to declare today that it's awesome to see what God has done in our church the past six months. And what I see happening, which I love, is our church becoming one. We're now one church with two locations. And what binds us together is not where we live. What binds us together is not necessarily where we work. What binds us together is the work of Christ and love we have for one another. And Paul says that his church should be known for this affectionate love and this unity for one another. He wraps up this section by saying, sing songs and worship Jesus together. I love that he says, just sing songs, make a joyful noise. Says nothing about whether or not you can do it. Says nothing about whether or not you're talented to do it. And I love that, because I'm not talented. That's why we have Kyle and this awesome team. But what's so cool about this is he's reminding you and I that it doesn't matter if you got the greatest voice. It doesn't matter if you're in the band. He's just saying, hey, when you worship together and you lift up the name of Jesus in song, there's something powerful in that. There's something amazing that happens when God's people sing together, when God's people worship together. And lastly, for this section here, he says, and do everything as unto the Lord. This last section deals with the Christian household. I want to read this passage here. This is 318 through 25. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not abrogate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Let me, three, let me deal with these three different types of relationships here for a moment, and I got some practical takeaways for you. Marriage. Paul talks about marriage. Submitting and godly love are jointly connected in marriage. When a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, his bride has no problem submitting to his headship in the home. In fact, in Ephesians, marriage is actual mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's actually not about who's in charge or exercising your will over a person in marriage. Marriage is actually mutual submission to one another. There was a tendency in the Roman world where Paul was writing from 
for men to rage bitterly against their wives and mistreat them. Because of their greater strength and louder voices, men in their sinful nature are prone to use harsh words, threats, unkindness, and even physical violence to, imitate, uh, to intimidate excuse me, their wives. Paul says there is no room for even a hint of this in a Christ-centered home. Instead, men are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church and to lay down their lives for them. I heard one, someone, someone say this about marriage. I love this. That marriage is just serving, trying to outserve one another. And I love that. That's what marriage is. Marriage is doing the best for the person you're in love with. Marriage is laying down your life for the sake of your spouse. Marriage is mutual submission. And what happens when you and I are fostering the new man and a Christ-centered relationship in the home, what ends up happening, not only does it please God, but it pleases those around us because there's such deep love and connection for one another. See, for us men who have loud voices, for us men who want to be in charge, for us men that can rule and can lead, Paul's saying, don't use that to your advantage. Use your heart to serve your spouse. Use your actions, and by doing those things, your wife will see the servanthood. Your wife will see the blessing of your lifestyle, and she will have no problems working through whatever things that need to happen in the home. In a Christ-centered marriage, this mutual submission is a beautiful thing. And when it's not happening, it can be devastating. He goes on to talk about children. He says, children, obey your parents as fitting to the Lord. Doesn't say anything about only when you want to. I love that. Doesn't say anything about when you're only a young child. No, he says children, meaning doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how young you are. If you're a child, you're always a child when it comes to your parents. And he says, obey your, obey your parents. Listen to them. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I feel like Paul addresses this a little bit, kind of in the old man, when he says, get rid of rage and malice and anger. Because I don't know about you, but the last thing our kids need is angry fathers. Paul's saying, what you want to do is build up your children in such a way, dad, that they want to please you with their lives because the way you love and serve them and spend time for them, with them. I remember Pastor Nick would always tell me, you know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how they spell love. Paul's urging us that our fathers that we should do our very due diligence to love our kids and to never provoke them. To never upset them on purpose out of fun or taste, but to be an example to them as godly men. Lastly, he deals with slaves, which is a little interesting. In the Roman world, there were many slaves at Colossae and the scriptures regulate the institution without commending it. Paul treats them with dignity and calls them to honor God with their work and lives. Philemon, another great book in the New Testament, is a great book to read more about this. Let me get practical with you today. I want to give you three things that I think we can pull from this big passage. Thanks for sticking with me. It's, been a, it's, a, it's kind of a long chunk of scripture, but three things here for you that I think are just some great takeaways that we can learn from Colossians 3. Number one, 
The past is no longer who you are. In Christ, you are a new creation, and old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Like I was saying with that picture of baptism earlier, if you can just imagine it for a minute that your life is now, the old life is now being dumped in the water and new life becomes up. And what that means symbolically is that the past is no longer who we are. I don't have to be haunted by my past. I don't have to have my sins or my mistakes or my problems. I don't have to be continually be dealing with those things. I'm now a new person in Christ. I can wake up every day with a fresh passion and a joy and a love for Christ because today's a new day in Christ and he's made me new in him. What it means is that I now die to those past behaviors. I now die to those attitudes. I die to that old way and every day I get to come up new in Christ because of what he's done for me. I know a lot of people struggle with their past. Their past haunts them, the mistakes, the, the problems, the issues. I just want to encourage you today by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are no longer who you were yesterday. You are no longer who you were when you were 12, 15, 20. You are new in Christ today. And as the, as the song said today, you are no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer a slave to your past. You are no longer the person you thought you were. You're new in Christ Jesus. That is the glorious beauty of what Jesus has done for you and for me. The past is no longer who you are. Number two, who, who are you becoming? What, what are you filling in your bucket? What's going inside of your bucket on a daily basis? Paul's saying we're trying to strive to this new man. We're trying to strive to becoming this new person. And the question becomes is, is, is more rage going in my bucket? Am I, am I more angry than I was yesterday than I am today? Do, do I find myself speaking you know, ill of others? Am I slandering? Am I gossiping? Do I find myself you know, making coarse joking with the buddies at work? Am I looking at things I shouldn't be looking at? Am I doing something with someone I shouldn't be doing? Well, what's going in the bucket? Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more gracious? You know what I've learned? I'm, I just turned 33. You know what I've learned just in my short little life? I feel like as we get older, a lot of times we get more critical. As we get older, a lot of times we get more, mm, mm, mm. I don't want to become that way. When I'm 70, man, I don't want to be known for being the grumpy guy. When I'm 80, I don't want to be the guy complaining that, well, well if they'd only do this, mm, mm. I don't want to be known to be that guy. And I'm only 33, and yet I can find myself complaining at times. I can find myself getting a little critical, getting a little judgmental. But, but man, if I want to become an immense patient person with people who are lost, if I want to become immensely patient with my wife and my kids, if I want to become immensely, then I got to fill that bucket with those things. If I find myself being critical, man, I got to get that out of my life and I got to become compassionate. I got to get around some people that are filled with mercy and grace because who am I becoming matters. And I'm becoming someone. And so are you. It's either happening intentionally or it's happening on accident, but you are becoming something. And who is it? And what is it? Are you becoming more loving and kind? Lastly, 
Christ-centered relationships start in the home. Have the worship team make their way up here. Christ-centered relationships start in the home. God works through the family and how we treat one another in our families matters a great deal. People always say, hey man, don't, don't preach it from up here if it's not happening out there. And you and I will be held accountable, not necessarily how nice and fun we were to one another at church, because it's super easy to be nice and fun and loving to people at church. Everybody can put on the face, and I'm guilty of it as well. But it's our families. It starts in our homes. It starts in with our children if we're parents. What, what, what kind of relationship do we have with our children? What, what kind of relationship do we have with our spouse? What kind of relationship do we have with our in-laws and our aunties and our uncles and our cousins? What kind of relationship happens in our home? Because Paul is saying this new man, this new person will be identified first and foremost by having a Christ-centered home. It'll start there. At one of our vision nights last month, or this is last week actually, one of the things I prayed for, I had the guys pray for me was, you know, if I can just get it right in my home, I feel like everything else will follow. And I believe that's for you today. If you can just get it right in your home and get it right with your children, I believe God will bless every other area of your life. You're worried about your finances, get it right in your home with your spouse. You're worried about your kids, get it right in your home first. And I believe God will bless it. Why? Because God works through the family. God created the family. He blessed the family. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and I'm going to use the family to bless others. It starts in the home, and it continues from there. Once again, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes with me today. Close your eyes with me here in this place today. And once again, I want you to think of that person. At the beginning of this message, I asked you to think of a person, a person you admire, a person you respect, a person that you find yourself wanting to be like. I want you to think of that person for a minute. Think of those qualities. What are those qualities? Is, is it that they're so loving? Is it that they're so generous? Is it that they're so patient? Is it that they're just non-threatening? What is the qualities of that person that you're thinking about in your mind right now? What is it that you just love to see and be around? What qualities do you wish you had? And now ask yourself with your eyes closed, are you known by those qualities? Are you known by those qualities? that you admire? Are you known by the things that you so appreciate? And God, right now in this place, with every eye closed, I thank you, God, that we are becoming new. God, I haven't arrived. Lord, I'm, I'm 33 and I make so many mistakes, God, but your grace is sufficient. God, I'm not perfect. Lord, Romans teaches us we all fall short of the glory of God. I'm the first one to do that, God. But I thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient today. 
I thank you, God, that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And I thank you today, God, that this ongoing process of becoming more and more like you never ends. I get to leave today and practice immense patience when I'm on the road. I get to leave today and head home and practice immense patience in my home. I get to wake up Monday morning for my work week or home with my kids or whatever I got going on this week. And I get to practice immense patience with those around me, God. And I pray today, Lord, that whatever it is for each person here today, whatever the qualities, God, that they find themselves lacking in, I pray, God, you would just increase that in their life today. I pray, God, you would grow our heart for that new man, God. I thank you, God, right now in this place. This is for someone right now in this place. Your past is no longer who you are. You have been forgiven. You, are, you have been set free. Christ does not see your sin. Christ is with you right now. He has forgiven you. God wants you to forgive yourself. The past is no longer who you are. God, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.